Well, happy darn Culture Cast Day, and welcome, welcome, Oscar Munoz. I am a huge fan and super excited to have the former executive chairman and CEO of United Airlines. Well, thank you, thank you. As uh, as the walk-on music was playing, I remember <laughs> a time when we were at Lollapalooza. I was with the then mayor of uh, of, of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, and. Uh, we were dancing or moving, I should say, rather than dancing to some tunes and they got caught on camera. Um, I have relatively okay moves. He does not. And it's still Excellent. a fun. You ever want to see, look up Ram Emanuel Lollapalooza and you'll see it. You'll like, oh my God. <laughs> I love that you're giving us some tea. So we can actually Google that and find him. Yes. And it's not a picture, it's video. It's a video. No, it's a full video. Right on. I love that. Um, I'm super excited because that tune, I, I know you and I were backstage talking about, hey, there's a walk-on song. And most people, I kind of say, you know, I end up moving to it. It's, by the way, a friend, Julius Wilder, created and produced it. So thank you. I always want to say that, that um, there's a good bass and just a good tune. And I, I, I know our guests can't help but move. So thank you for, you know, being you. That's amazing. The beautiful part of music, right? Music, love, art, poetry, literature, all those things that we sometimes forget about in today's world and how they do move us in different ways. And that's just a, a powerful instrument. And I'm glad you offered it because even, you know, the walk-up songs, I mean, I just spoke at a big, huge conference with a lot of very stuffy people. Oh, no. And they kind of said, you know, we kind of do a little thematic. Yeah. You played the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. Oh, was that appropriate for you, though? It was appropriate for me. Okay. Uh, it was, it's always a little shock in the audience. It's like, God, are they really playing that? It's like, absolutely. Let's do did it. you get to choose it though, or did they choose it for you? You know, I think over the course of these kind of conversations, yeah. people ask you, and everybody knows kind of the stone. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've really uh, actually been with them, spent, had breakfast with them. Oh my goodness. Point. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that song was famous. I, I wrote a book, and in the book, it, I, I talk about going into my uh, heart transplant I had. That's right. They ask what kind of music you want to play. I like Stones, and that's the song. And it's uh, apropos. You can't always get what you want, right? And I didn't want to. I don't. I didn't want to need a heart. Um, right. Get what you need, which I got one, and here I am, almost eight years later after that transplant. And happy, healthy, busy, and all. This oh stuff. my goodness! Yeah, and I think apropos because I think in your book didn't the doctor say when the heart showed up, which was kismetly on your birthday, that they found a rock star heart and. <laughs> I guess question, I mean, I don't want to dive into that right now, but the Rolling Stones, did you feel that at all when you were, were you vibing with the music even though you were under? Do, no, did I that make a difference? You, you know, as you know, anybody that's had surgery, they, yeah. they jump from 100 down and you get to 99 and you're gone. Yeah. Uh, no, I clearly heard it and it was, you know, in a no way. way, there's all these little things, right? This, this is the thing about life and all the things that we can do for other people, right? Just little things for just a second. As I walked in, obviously with trepidation, they're going to, take your heart out and put yeah. it in. It's like, okay, it's a little daunting. And so any semblance of 
of ownership you have over the thing and, and a little music playing in the background, however brief I actually heard it was a meaningful thing. So yeah, it did, it did, make, it did make a difference. Oh my goodness. Well, I thank you so much for being so open about talking about your open heart surgery and it's wild timing too, as I, I do want to jump into the story of um, you being appointed as the new CEO to help turn around United. But before we even get there, here, I love your story. I'm sharing this with you. I feel like I so resonate with you and that I'm always proud to say I am first generation American. My parents were immigrants to this country from the Philippines. And um, my mom and dad had no family here. And they decided to get married, have a family. And then once they got established, send back for really my mom's side of the family. And that family lived with us until they got started. And fast forward, I think about the arc of my life, how that really kind of created a pathway to um, experience in working in large companies where there's a large, diverse frontline hourly workforce trying to make their way. And mm -hmm. so I'd love for you to just kind of jump into really, who is Oscar? You mean, how did you, right? <laughs> like when you were a child and then you yourself, you know, beginning to create that American dream, you know, what was that pathway that led you to becoming this amazing and epic leader? Well, thank you for those compliments. I'm not sure that they all apply necessarily, but you know, the concept, the question of who's Oscar, it's like, can I lay down for a second? You can. <laughs> I mean, we'll listen intently. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think mean, who we all are is a complicated question, but it always starts with where you began. And you just mm. told, in, in your words, the arc of your story and your parents and, you know, the, the, the how they came and how they brought others behind them. I think uh, there are so many of us that resonate with that story in this great country. And, and not just necessarily people that are considered minorities in today's parlance, but right. people over many, many, you know, centuries and generations. And I think that's one of the things about diversity and inclusion we forget. Everyone almost here is an immigrant at some point in time. That's right. Some people have been here longer than others. So, you know, my road, uh, my journey you know, started on the, the dusty roads of Northern Mexico. Uh, I was born there to, uh, to a single mother who left with my, uh, with her older brother, uncle, who was already living in LA. Oh, wow. Arranged, really arranged her documents. So she went up to sort of begin to make a living uh, when left me with my maternal grandmother, who I lived with for the next seven plus years. Oh, wow. So those, those early years, and, and your question is, who am I? The dormant values, those latent values that I learned in those formative years from this incredible human being who was um, a blue collar worker. So it doesn't matter. She, was, she didn't really actually have a job. Yeah. She had her husband at a fairly young age and was taking care of me. We didn't have a home of our own necessarily. We didn't, she didn't have a job. So we traveled from town to town and families. I think one of the things about the Mexican heritage and a lot of heritages is that, and like you mentioned it, you know, you're never homeless. It's like, you just, you know, you meet somebody and, and there's always somebody smiling that lets you in. So I remember all, vaguely all of those things, but what really has stayed with me, her values, which she never complained. Um, the yeah. I felt in her rugged hands when we walked down a road was all I needed for my own sort of confidence and knew and I was safe. Uh, the way she treated people, the way people treated her, her work ethic, her loyalty, never, again, never complained, never, never, never pointed the fingers, never had a crossword. 
um, all of those things is those for seven, eight years. That's what I lived. It was just her and I and these various things. And, and all of that, as I grew up and going into big companies and doing the things that we've done in careers, all of those values and have come back to me when I've had really tough decisions to make and not really knowing because leadership is difficult and there's always uh, difficult problems you have to manage. But those values, how I engage, engage and interact with people, how I treat people, yeah. value them regardless of what level they are, all of that is an exact, very specific and direct correlation from those values. So who is Oscar? I, well, I am, I, I called her Mama Josefina, my abuelita, my, my grandmother. Um, all, all, I am a product of hers, but more importantly, I'm also a product of all that I've met along the way. I think uh, there's a great poem uh, uh, that uh, was written that talks about that, but I, I really resonate with the fact that Tennyson says, you know, I am parts of all that I've met. I think yeah. I'll answer that thing, and that's, that's, that's who I am. And it's a complicated group of people. <laughs> sure, I bet. Yeah, I think, um, I thank you for sharing about your journey to the United States yes. and learning from your abuelita. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, I'm listening to you talk about you observed how she was treated and how she treated people and how I think what I know about you and what I've seen about you is kind of how you have that grace for other people. Um, and I, one thing, thing I read about too, or maybe it was in our conversation, early in your career, I mean, how did you carry that? You know, I think about um, why I feel like I just so resonate with you. I think about early corporate culture, and maybe it's just the generation that I was in and likely you were in too, where there was such a big corporation and there was a way of behaving successfully. And to me, at least my personal experience, it was more about, well, I can't be fully who I am because I need to assimilate to how, you know, the company is defining success. And I don't know if you experienced that. Well, for sure. Right. I mean, and uh, especially some of the younger viewers, will, you know, DEI is a term and a concept. Yeah. People have left and right views on it and it's politicized. But nevertheless, it is a concept that people comprehend and there's a level of support sort of quote back in the day there was none of you the assimilation was critical i mean i i did not embrace my heritage or my language it was everything about you know being more american for all the right reasons and then increasingly over the course of my life and career there they came this burden of perfection because you're not supposed to be here right i worked yes. high finance which is a intellectually challenging and and at the time populated by a lot of people that have had a lot of history and generation and, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, intellect that was equipped, they were equipped with. And that wasn't necessarily for people's perception, it, you know, that with somebody like me would have that kind yeah. of background. So I had to prove it, felt I had to prove it. It made for a really murky, difficult, you know, sort of maybe 10 years of my life and career where I was like this intense, very driven, very insular, very controlling. Mm -hmm. and, and all this time trying to, project to others this facade of what I wanted them to see or what I thought they wanted to see in me. And, and we all live through this, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. it's funny because you, you, I say this like it's new. It's like, no, we all feel it. I think the concept of what you do in your, in your culture cast and what I do, why I talk at these things is we want to make sure that people are, that are coming up in this world and experiencing this, learn from people that have been through it and succeeded. You don't have to do that. That's right. It's, being yourself is such an, you know, if all the life's lessons, if I had, if I had known myself much more and was comfortable 
And, you know, it started, you know, it's not like you don't give a crap about what people think about you. Of course you yeah. do. But you'd be amazed, your skills, your capabilities, your heritage, your background, how you work, all of that comes through in a shining way. And that's, no one's going to take that away. And, you know, it's, yeah, I wish I had been uh, done that earlier because it did erase a lot of me for a while there until I learned that I didn't have to do that anymore. And interestingly, my career, as great as it was going, just had this amazing, you know, hyperbolic chart afterwards because I learned to involve others. I learned to be myself. Yeah. Who I was. And, it, you know, and it was it's just a really well, a wonderful sort of lesson that I learned. You are giving away such good secrets. And I agree with you about the more comfortable with who you are and actually the more clarity that you have about where you came from, your roots, and also what your values are and what you stand for. I have found that for me personally, kind of like you, I think the first 10 years of my career, like at least in my twenties, I was so serious, you know, and it was, I hear you like that need to be perfect or to fake it until you make it, you know, because there's all these people who are more experienced than me, who look different than me. And I'm like, wow, I don't know what they know yet, but I'm going to just learn it. Like I'm going to figure it out and how serious I was, you know, because of that need to feel like I have to fit in. And I agree with you. And I'm glad that you gave that lesson very early on around personal learning, which is, gosh, the sooner that you can just embrace who you are and, um, and be comfortable in your own skin, I think from a career development, career learning, and I'd say just growth standpoint, you'll grow exponentially as a result of it. And I think that's why we're on this call today. I think about CultureCast, it is about helping individuals and leaders help create community and cultures where people can thrive. And I think what you're getting to is like, how, how do you do that? You know, I think it's one thing learning this as a young adult and then coming into your own career, but now seeing it from the other side as a leader who's led huge organizations, um, you know, first of all, I'm going to just jump into how do you define culture? And then as you've gone on to lead, you know, what have you done about it to identify culture? So we, we throw around a term like that yeah. a lot nowadays. That's a good thing. It used to be, uh, and, and you and I have just described a period of time, and in our very large company, very successful companies with lots of people, they had their own culture. It just wasn't intentional. It's just it, There were almost rules. Like I, I worked at a very large soft, I mean, a soft drink company, two of them actually. Uh-huh. It was a time where you, you, know, you wore your coat, your tie, you didn't walk out of your little cubicle without it. It was very rigid and one was more intense than the other. But, you know, that was the culture. You knew what was expected and, and how you were. Optics were a big thing. Um, and so we use that a lot. And of course, you know, culture is, is sort of the, the DNA of, of a company. Let's say it is uh, it, it is I'd like to more put uh, it's its spirit. It, it, it is how people feel and, and how they feel about each other and and how there's a certain um, aspects of how the company works and operates that I'm part of. And, and, and so for me, the, the, at the end of the day, the definition of culture, when someone says, you know, I work at X company and, yeah. it's, and, it, and it's a great culture, right? Whatever that means, it is a reaffirmation or an affirmation that I like being there because I feel like I'm part of something. So to your question, how do you go about that? How do you go about yeah. making people feel uh, that way? 
my situation in the United is probably the best example because we have, you know, 100,000 employees, 80 different countries, and probably another 40 or 50,000 people that work tangentially to you that service oh. customers. And the place was broken. And uh, it was broken for many reasons. I think eight, C- eight CEOs in the previous 10 years before me. Oh, my goodness. Federal, federal stuff. There was a merger that wasn't going well. Uh, there was, you know, there, there was a federal investigation into my predecessor, all those little things. And so if you think about our industry, people have been there for a long time. When I got there, the average tenure was about 27 years. So people oh, wow. live this world. They, they really enjoy taking care of you. They love the industry and the business, but they've been going through hell. And so, yeah. you know, how do you establish a culture? The culture there was toxic. They were just... Mm-hmm. Dis- disenfranchised, disengaged, you know, the big three Ds that you don't want to ever be part of. So for me, my instinct, and again, it's back to these dormant latent values that I discussed at the top of it. Oh, my great, you know, it sounds silly, but what did I learn from my grandmother? Every time we walked in somebody's new home, you know, she immediately would go into making sure that these people that were letting us into their life felt good about it. So her way was doing, she just went to work. She started yeah. cleaning and doing everything. And I went right alongside and we kind of kept to our little selves. So, you know, so, but there was a way that she assimilated, if you will, into this. Mm-hmm. Place. So my way has always been my nature after I learned to be myself and, and you have the same personality, you know, you just walk around and say hi to people. Hey, That's right. Listen, uh-huh. hi, where are you from? And say, yeah, those are awesome. By the way, I love your glasses. And I like, oh, this you. is my version of being hip and cool today. I've got a pink. I mean- I think we're matching. I've got pink on my shirt. I don't know if you can really tell. But for me, the culture aspect was I, I didn't know how I was going to fix it, but I knew who to ask yeah. what to be fixed. And it wasn't the consultants and the investors and my board and even my senior most leadership team because they were all part of that. And maybe they couldn't see the, the forest from the trees. So I made a decision. It's like, you know what? I'm going to go out. And, and you know, when I was asked by the street investors, right? They want to hear you're going to cut people, you're going to shut things mm-hmm. down, you're going to do those things. I want to ask and say, what are you going to know? What's, what's your first step? I said, you know what? I don't know. You know, it's like that. This is by the way, being comfortable with yourself, you're like, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I had a sense, but it's like, I want to, I, I don't know, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and ask the right, the people that actually touch your, 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 your experience, your bags, your airplanes, your coffee. I'm going to see what they had to say and uh, hold on to that because I think that's the best step. And so what began, what built the building of the culture there, we went from a culture that was like, oh, my God, what's wrong with United now to, yeah. one, to one that's like, what's next? And in the concept of, of um, we christened this concept of we began to build the new spirit of United. I mean, we didn't talk about a culture changing, but right. the expectation was that the top person cares enough to come in and talk and listen to everyone and everyone. And he does it one-on-one. If there's not a big conference room or a big success and, and the conversations were not really deep. I would say it's like, Hey, cool glasses. Where'd you get those? Or if a lanyard had a football team's name, I would talk about the, or, you know, somebody had a picture of their kids, but you engage with them on a very individual basis. And it was instinct. It's who I was, but it's also how I want them to treat you as a customer, right? You should you should feel special when you fly on United, not just another number and another seat. Right. Like, you know, I got the middle seat. Um, all of those things are not uncomfortable. But if somebody treats you like a like 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 it's just it's just we all know this feeling when somebody treats us well. Right. How do you get a hundred thousand people to do that? Well, you build a spirit or a culture 
and it leads it starts with the top of the example the proof points yeah i love that i all when i'm hearing your story it's a it's a reinforcement that i believe culture is a reflection of leadership and literally starting from the top you know you're saying hey after all this churn that had happened in the past 10 years eight ceos federal investigations i mean you name it of course that's going to create a toxic culture and it's going to be hard on people to kind of uphold expectations, you know, for an airline to serve their, serve their customers. But here's what I love about what you did. And I, I, I feel I do this too, which is why I feel like I just so resonate every time I listen to you talk is it's about being personal, right? And it's about hearing and seeing and being present with people. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you mentioned to me, oh, I love your glasses, or you'll say that to somebody else, or you'll notice a football team on their lanyard. It is about making that personal connection with people. I think it's that informal and creating that familiarity, you know, before jumping in on, you know, that next level. Because I think what I read in your book is that you, you did ask for feedback, right? You asked for what's the hardest thing. If not, people would, after they've come to know you this way, although they may not have personally interacted with you, but word gets around, you know, and when the leader, um, behaves in this way, which is engaging, interested, present, personal, um, people will come forward with ideas. And so I, I love, I love that you use that example, that simple things one can do as an individual to help create culture, or I like using the term co-create culture is actually engaging with people, you know, and meeting them where they're at. It's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And, and, very well said, for sure. And, and you can, you know, I always, um, you know, it's always important for people to take away something from your conversation that resonates with them, that they can put in their own words. Yeah. Spirit of what I'm trying to convey fits into their vernacular and then they carry it forward. And importantly, they see part of themselves in that process. There's just no greater level of engagement you can have, right? We talk about engaging employees and customers and, yeah. You know, I always say capturing the hearts and minds of folks. It's an important thing. Minds, you know, it's a more technical, analytical thing. Hearts is a human thing. Yeah. People just don't feel part of it. And it's like, I just wish, and, and by the way, you know, for all of you listening, we were, we're talking about a lot of these, what we call maybe softer sort of skills. Uh, what they drive is a level of engagement in other humans that, all of these great ideas, like a simple question, like what's wrong? You know, a lot of great ideas come from that. Our company not only turned around from a culture and how friendly they were, our business rocked. I mean, yeah. we doubled our stock price. And so that is a combination. So I, I never usually talk about all the strategic things that yeah. we, you know, great decisions and a great team we put together to make all those things happen because that is required. But the foundation that I came up with all the concepts that I did was the first thing we had to do in a turnaround, you always have to find the first thing, the platform. Yeah. And that's why I went out to listen to people. And when we came back, what I came back with, uh, with the support of my team, was the first thing we had needed to do was we needed to regain the trust of our employees. Not our customers, right. not our customers. And you can imagine, it was not a popular thing. Employees were digging it. It was like, yeah, that's my man right there. He's right. But, you know, customers are like, wait, what about our customer? You know, and then, of course, investors are like, what does that mean? That sounds like it's like this, you know, this trust thing. Yeah. 
trust, and I write this in my, in my book, trust is a difficult commodity. It defies valuation because how do you put it on a spreadsheet? Well, we're going to gain five points of trust, right? Yeah. You can't do that. But I always answer that. I was like, why is that so important? Because you know what? While it's difficult to value, when you need it, when it's absolutely essential, it's priceless for you. And it takes time to build that trust. So don't go into it. How do I put it on my spreadsheet today? Just know that there's going to be a time when you need it. And then it's priceless. And that applies to your personal relationships. That sure. Everything that we do. And, and, uh, and so getting at that, and then this is a, a concept I've heard over the course of my time since I wrote the book, that trust travels at the speed of transparency. And that really resonated with me because as, as you and I talk, one of the things that starts with is for me, finally knowing myself and, and, and throwing all the facade up created a level of transparency that people are like, hey, I kind of like this guy. Yeah. And, and, and now I know it's just, and I'm going to help you do that. And that builds trust. Trust builds a better culture. Culture builds a better strategic platform. And then you can go to work on the things that you know drive business value. So it's all part and parcel. Yeah, I love that. And I, I know that there are many studies now and actually companies that look at this human capital performance factor. I think that's the terminology now. When you know you did it back then intuitively, right? I think now looking back eight years, including United, including other companies where um, trust is paramount, right? It's paramount to the foundation. Um, you were onto something early on before now, there's a terminology where you look at all of those soft things, which are hard to measure, but then it translates to things like um, employee churn and retention, uh, engagement, et cetera. And then that drives business outcomes. And you know, you talked about in your story, about how it drove stock price, you know, it, it drove profitability for the company because it is about living the brand. You know, it's fascinating. I talk to a lot of CEOs who want help or advice on DE&I today, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the first place I look is, well, tell me about your mission statement or your vision. You know, a lot, everyone's kind of recrafting right now. And the first question I ask is, that, that's a beautiful statement, how do your employees feel about it? Do they believe it? You know, and it, there was one, and, and I've, I've signed NDA. So one where, you know, this is beautiful statement around how the customer is going to feel energized, et cetera. And, you know, having spent time inside that company, I'm like, well, how do your employees feel when they say, hear the statement? Are they living this yet? And so you're getting to that. I think it is the foundation, not only for turning around a company, but it is part of the strategy. You know, the first thing you came back with is we're going to earn back the trust of our employees because I think they are the ones delivering on the promise of flying the friendly skies, right? At least at United. Absolutely. No, 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 no question about that. It's pretty amazing that, um, and then I, I do want to jump into, you talked about, you know, no pun intended. I felt like you led with your heart. Your heart was working so hard that 37, 38 days into your tenure as CEO, you have this massive heart attack. So talk about that. Oh, God, yeah. But, uh, it, it, it's funny because I'll, I'll weave it around all that we've been talking about. Okay. It was a really big part of the culture shift, unfortunately. I cannot recommend doing this, by the way. Um, the um, So... Yeah, I was a uh, marathon runner, uh, triathlete, uh, vegan. Wow. I was a vegan because one of my sisters uh, had, was on her third remission of a cancer. 
and it was getting pretty you know, dire. We were worried. And so in order to support her, uh, everybody was, you know, people were shaving their heads and, and I figured I had more weight than hair to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, and so what, what we went through there was a simple uh, a conversation of I, I adopted her diet, a low alkaline diet, which is in essence a vegan one. Um, and, uh, and so it wouldn't have been expected. And again, I was not a, a huge athlete, but I was indeed there. I mean, I, I just run up, I just raced a hundred mile bike race two weeks before. And so the interesting part, and I'll do a quick little PSA. Yeah. Heart disease is the biggest killer in America by far. The cancer ain't got nothing on heart disease. And part of the reason, or a lot of the reason is that a lot of the symptoms of a heart condition aren't really known. There's so many different yeah. symptoms, uh, with a blockage of heart and, and, and blood flow to various parts of your body. Um, and, and it's very different for men and for women. And, and so there isn't like, oh my God, it's the big one. No, right. They have nerve endings here, so it's not that way. So it manifests itself in different ways. And most people would just kind of blow it off. Yeah. Like, oh, that feels weird. I'll just kind of, you know, lay down or sit down or jump in the shower. And that's why people don't make it. I learned that from a good friend of mine who I, I, I rode bikes and ran with. And he was, he's a cardiologist. And he would always tell us these stories about people dying, dying on his operating table who were relatively young and relatively fit and how genetic this disease is. And his advice was, listen, if you ever feel anything weird, these mm -hmm. various symptoms, call 911 and just immediately tell them where you are. And which is like, okay. And then, you know, it's like, that's a good thought. Um, they immediately tell him where you are. I remember thinking, like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but he added this really dramatic point that, partly saved my life. He said, and when you reach someone, immediately tell them where you are. Huh. Yeah. Because you may not make it past the phone call. No. And we're thinking, it's like, okay, Mark, his name's Mark. It's like, dude, that's a little thing. <laughs> but fast forward a couple of years, I just gone for a run. I'm in my high rise apartment, rental apartment, just moved to, to Chicago. Just, and I went for a run and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just getting ready for the morning, for the, for the day, a very busy day ahead of me. And my phone buzzes and I go to walk across and my legs sort of gave out and I was running a lot. So finally yeah. nothing. And it was, you know, and everything's like, Oh, it's, you know, and then I took another step and my legs actually buckled. I felt clammy and his thoughts, if you feel anything weird, call 911, tell them where you are. It's exactly what I did. I crawled to this landline phone. You may have read about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, uh, we had those growing up by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I called that one, and then in 37 minutes later, I was on a medically induced coma, and uh, had, uh, the heart had blown up. It required, it would eventually require a heart transplant. Oh my goodness! So it's a there's a concept in heart disease called the will maker that everyone's heard. It's not actually, if you ask a, a, a doctor, it's not really a concept, but it's not really a term, but it is a concept. As one doctor said, because you took the you took the will maker and gave it the middle finger. It was how that's how bad it was. Um, and later on, you would hear from a lot of the nurses, yeah. never seen anybody come in in that state and, and make it. So I'm blessed beyond belief. And then, so yeah, we went through that process uh, again. And, and so back to the story of United, though, after I, I come out of the coma and people begin to figure out what's happened and they don't know what the future is. Can I come back? Will I be healthy? What's yeah. my and didn't quite know about the transplant process just yet. But the letters of support and sympathy and caring. And again, I was in the, in the company for 37 days. Uh, there, there wasn't like I'm a 10 year. Yeah. And I've gone out and listened to a lot of people, but 
you know, it was in the few thousands, not the hundred thousand. Yeah. But back to the concept we were talking about when one person leads to another, how they feel, what they tell. Well, that just went viral before that viral, that term was issued inside. Sure. The and the volume of things that would come into the house, uh, to the apartment. And of course, my kids would bring them in bags and they would come in every morning oh and read these notes. It's a, when I knew that the pride and professionalism of this, of this my new family was there. That's what I, I had hoped to rebuild and rekindle. And second, it also kind of reaffirmed within my family group that I needed to go back. Now, me personally, I had zero, I, there was no question in my mind that I was going back. That was fine. Put me in, coach. Let's yeah. go. Bring the board here. Let's talk about it. I will tell you, my family shared a picture that I took right when I came out of the coma. And if I showed you, you would blanch and you would hold on to something, even oh, though yeah. you didn't know me. When I saw that, I fell to my knees. It was that impactful. I was death, Wongo. And it's just, there was just no question of how bad I physically went after being in a coma for seven days and all of that. So it was an awful thing. So you, know, you, you had to realize the stuff you put your family through, for sure, yeah. um, and how scary it was for so many people and how the concept of my board coming to see me would not have been a good idea. Right. So, so that was a story. And then just to culminate it, um, you know, the concept of, of needing a transplant was another one of those things where you're like, yeah, it's a big no for me, dog. I'm not going there. Because right. uh, I can fix this. Uh, whatever it is, I can fix it myself. And obviously, over time, I realized that that wasn't to be the case. And then after all soul searching and a lot of medical uh, research around the country or uh, visiting people, uh, on my birthday, the morning of my birthday, mm. I get a call from Dr. Alan Anderson, my cardiologist in Northwest Hospital, Chicago. He says, we've got a kick-ass heart for you. And, uh, uh, and I think, like, oh my God, what do I do? It's like, you know, it's great because we've been waiting two weeks. It's, it's a really weird, strange, um, imbalanced feeling because you're waiting for an organ which requires yeah. the original owner of that organ to perish. And so right. you can't pray for someone's death or hope yeah. for those sorts of things. And so it was, a, it was a weird couple of weeks, but oh, two weeks is all we waited. People wait for years for this comes on my birthday. It was a, it was a 30 year old heart. Uh, and so um, I, I'm a family of nine. I'm the, the demographically the oldest of nine, but with the new heart, I'm You're the youngest, right? Youngest <laughs> uh, um, and so, uh, you know, I had a heart transplant. It was the you know, marvel of modern medicine. You know, I had, I was, uh, I was in the hospital for a little bit under seven days. Wow. Left, left on a Thursday afternoon and was back at work on the following Monday. We didn't tell anyone who was back at work because for a lot of public reasons, but yeah. And I was feeling, I had to stay away from, it was a lot of, you know, control points. Um, but it was a, but the, as you can imagine, the coming back and everybody wanted to check you out and see. Yeah. So first of all, I lost 45 pounds. So I kind of look good. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> Maybe not for the right reasons, <laughs> I hear you. Wow. And, uh, and then I got right back to work and, and my mind was working. There was a lot of people that had been on TV talking about this guy's not going to make it. Yeah. He's going to have a stroke. His mental acuity is going to be gone. He's only going to have a certain lifespan as most people, the average lifespan for someone with a transplant is X or Y. And this is the thing in the world, right? There's always going to be people that tell you these things. Right. And, um, you know, your inner fortitude. This, for me, per, the, the concept of mind over matter or mind over bite was clear. Things I never 
once even slightly thought that I wasn't not only going to survive and get better, but that I was going back to work. Right. Never, never thought. Naive as it may sound or as it was again, it indeed helped me a lot. No, I, I believe in that. I mean, there's so much to unpack. The first thing is, you know, when you did have this heart attack and the fact that um, I, I'm not surprised that your family would show up with the volumes of letters and the fact that word got around, got viral before viral was really even a term. You know, I'm a big believer too in karma, right? And I think you get what you give in life. And having been this newly appointed CEO, um, le literally leading with your heart, right? And figuratively leading with your heart. <laughs> the fact that- Gave my heart to the company. I mean, I mean, you literally gave your heart- um, in, put, poured your heart into it in meeting these employees. And, and I said this earlier, you know, it's employees talk to each other. They may not have interacted with you directly, but they're going to talk to their network of, you know, their, their tribe, their people inside the company. And so I'm not surprised. I think that level of presence, kindness, interest, you know, what you learn from your abuelita, just to really get in there and see people. I think, paid it forward for you. I think that I, I'm also a big believer that that good energy is also part of the reason why, you know, it is, yes, I believe in mind over matter too. And for you was, and you believed it from your heart that, okay, next, you're going to be able to do what's next. I think that goodness also manifested in this whole energy that surrounded you. I don't mean to get foo-foo on you, but I believe that, you know, and that that's exactly what you're getting in life so early, like I think about the return on your investment in people in terms of your emotional investment in people came back, you know? And so I, I appreciate you sharing that story, but then, Hey, what's up with you like kicking it on the DL? And what I mean by that is, all right. So you found out on your birthday that you had this kick-ass heart that was available. And I mean, clearly you had to go. But I think I read, and you've talked about this before, that, you know, you first had a meeting with your leadership team, and then you're like, I'm just going to go take care of something. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it is so, uh, you know, first of all, it's, it's incredible to be alive and not, you know, it's like, so that, that was that, that energy was certainly uh, flowing through me and, and uh, knowing that something, once, you, once I got past my head about, no, yeah. I'm not going to transplant, so, okay, let's do this, let's go. Yeah. Like, okay, let's do it. Um, and so it was, it was, the call was early in the morning and, and concurrently we were in the middle of, so I was back at work now okay. fully and we're having the strategy retreat where uh, remember I said earlier in the turnaround, you need to find the thing you're going to do first. Yeah. So I, I was with my team and this outside consultant who I've now formed a partnership with because everything we do in the book was, they had a part to do it. And so people are always asking, how did you do this? How did you do that? So we put this, this team together, but we were in the process of determining this first thing to do at all the senior leadership. And we've been working for a couple of days and uh, difficult conversations. Yeah. People said, you know, you got to build systems and, and, you know, everybody had different views. But on the morning of all of this, it was the morning where we were going to coalesce and finally decide together what that thing was. Um, so I get the call in the morning. And I, it's like, I don't want to miss this session. He says, you don't really have to be in until later this afternoon. So, you know, just relax. Yeah. And, just eat. and I'm like, can I go to work? And it's like, it's like, you know, why would you? It's like, I, I kind of need to. So going to work, 
again, you can only make this stuff up. And, you know, I took a lot of time in the book to write it out in the dramatic fashion that it followed. But in essence, I go back in there. I tell my general counsel and my HR person, hey, Sue, um, nobody could know about this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going in later today for a heart transplant. This is after they had to manage for three months, me being out with yeah. Yeah, right. So there's all sorts of been a lot of furor out there already. So this is a new one and it's coming so sudden. So they're like, oh God. Uh, so let's go back in. That morning, we as a leadership team coalesced against there's so many different things we can do as a starting point, but we've lost the trust of our employees and we need to regain that. Yeah. Not my, that was my intent, but that was not my work. They came around to that aspect of that. Amazing. It happened literally right before lunchtime. And so it was a good time to me. So before they sat down for lunch, I stood up and I said, hey, listen, um, uh, I got to go back to the hospital. There's a little something we've been waiting for. And so hopefully it won't be long. Yeah. And I said, I'll see you on the other side. Oh, my goodness. Not the double entendre there that it was like, ooh, which other side are we talking about sort of thing? And, you know, one of, uh, one of my key executives, uh, Jerry Latterman, who's the CFO, tells this story, loves telling the story. Because they were, we were all, everybody was excited about, oh my God, we have a plan. This yeah. is what we're doing. We're all behind it. And there's no commotion. There's no, no, that's BS. We don't want to do this. It's like everybody that, even the most staunch, sternest, you know, operational people and stuff were like, no, this is what we got to do. Let's go do this. And so everybody's excited about that. Then I've got to go walk away. And nobody, again, knows what I'm going to right. do until it would be publicly announced the next day. Uh, so yeah, it was. Uh, it makes for great for great reading, by the way. <laughs> I know it feels like a movie. It just does. All of this is not real, but it happened, right? It's wild. Um, well, I know that I want to be respectful of your time because I know you've got to catch a flight soon. We have just a couple more minutes, and before we wrap up with lessons learned, I always love to get into pop culture with my guests, and I love to ask, you know, and it could be anything. What are you loving these days, whether it's food, fashion, what you're reading, what you're listening to, what you're watching? I mean, what is on the top of your list, Oscar? I, this is sounds so silly, and everybody gives me grief about it. I, I really enjoy TikTok. I, I just, <laughs> Do you? I laugh so hard. Uh, and, you know, I, and I'm intelligent enough to figure out, you know, the things that happen. And, uh, and I just, I, I just, I love music and there's a ton of music. There's a lot of humor. I see trends. I see how people think. Yeah. I see the younger generation and what's important to them. And it's really powerful for me as an older person when I talk about these things and I have, I, I'm kind of not hip, but up to speed on things. Yeah. Uh, but it's important beyond being hip. It's, you understand how people are thinking and you see what people talk about. You see the fact that, our younger generation is growing up certainly more digital, uh, yeah. but more diverse, much more accepting, much more embracing, much more caring yeah. about the world around them, right? I mean, and, and they're fighting back and pushing and, and not accepting the norms. And you see groups of them and it's, uh, it's not a homogenous group anymore. It's, it's easy. And, you know, there, there's, there's difficulties with, you know, the, all the, uh, all the, uh, all the different, you know, the approaches of how people name themselves, which yeah. can be confusing. But at the same time, it means something to them. And, and I always tell sort of the older set, it's like, you know, if you really want to make an impact on this, yes, diversity and inclusion, you know, you know about it. But we should really pay attention to this younger generation because they are the future That's of our, right. our companies, of our country. They are our kids. They are, and, uh, and it's, it's a 
great bunch of people with a different value set that is hopefully going to bring everything back together. Because I yeah. feel like we've kind of we've done this divide. And this doesn't feel good. And those aren't political answers, by the way. Right. Um, because I, I, I'm more of a centrist on everything. But there's human values that I really respect and value. And, and more importantly, I respect people's views, however different they might be from me. And, and so uh, uh, TikTok in a weird way gives me a quick sense of all of that. And it makes me laugh. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm obsessed with TikTok. And maybe it's because I'm obsessed about culture that um, there's that whole TikTok channel around why people are quitting their jobs. It's fascinating. And to your point, this is the most diverse generation of young people. And I agree with you. Future leaders of the world, you know, now entering the workforce. And I love your messaging, too, around reinforcing diversity, equity, inclusion, I think the good news is the numbers are there in terms of diverse backgrounds and experiences now entering the workforce. And I think a lot of the lessons learned and just listening to you over the last 45 minutes is all around how do you include people? You know, how do you intentionally as a leader make the effort to invite other people's thinking in co-creating culture? I mean, if I were to sum it all up, you know, and be human while you're doing it. Yeah. It's okay that you're a CEO, but the fact that you led um, as a human being is is humbling. Yeah. You know, I think about that. This part of the journey has been that it's been every every pain point, every peak, every valley, every success, every failure. I can I'll always attribute the successes to the people around me. The failures, those bad boys, were all mine. And I learned a lot from them, and that's my future, to provide whatever kind of guidance uh, and approach to others so that they don't repeat that. Or when they do face those things, they, they think of a different way of responding rather than what others, people, what others tell you. So know yourself. I'm telling you, it's just the first thing you can do. Really know yourself. Yeah. You want other people to know you. And that, that self just shines through, and you've learned that uh, over your time, and I have, and so... I hope a lot of your readers get some good things out of this. So right on. I love ending it with that. Know yourself and be true to yourself. Love it, love it, love it's it. Um, love you, Oscar. You're phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for your time. And I know everyone who was listening and watching right now also thank you. And for now, we're going to sign off. I'm going to say safe travels to you and to everybody else. We will see you on the next Culture Cast. Be well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks Bye. For